Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Aaron, one of the pastors here, and uh, really glad to see you guys here this morning. Man, you guys were singing out this morning. That was great. Give yourselves a, 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 a round of applause. That's good to see. Hey, I got a couple of announcements for you before we jump in. Actually, a couple things I just want to share with you that are super cool. Today is our Big Giving Sunday, and um, we've been praying and, and planning to be able to raise $500,000 across all of our campuses so that we can continue doing more work in amazing ways, not only here, but also, um, as you saw earlier, Jake, who led through the feed. Um, he's one of our missionaries. He's actually from our church, and we've sent him to Ethiopia, and he helps run Hope for Cora there. So we're going to be, uh, th- from now to the end of the year, going to be collecting that, and I look forward to seeing how God's going to do that. But one of the cool things with it is that um, even before we got to today, okay, even before today happened, Throughout our campuses, 79 people had already given to our Vision 2023, before we even got to today. And not only that, all of your pastors, all of your leaders got together, and we prayed, and we have committed ourselves to this as well. So I am, I'm looking forward to seeing what God is going to do through that. Second, okay, something a little different, Christmas is coming. Last service, there was like an audible, uh, does that make you sad? I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. It's good. But Christmas is coming. And so there's a, there's a quick housekeeping thing that you need to know about. We will host here at our Vestal campus, we'll host four services on Christmas weekend. Christmas is on a Monday, which means Christmas Eve is on a Sunday. So on Saturday and Sunday, we will have two services both days, one at 3.30 and one at 5. There will not be any morning services on Sunday. There will just be the 3.30 and 5 on uh, Christmas Adam. Is that that right to call it that? Christmas Adam and Christmas Eve. I know, sorry, it's really lame. Sorry. You're welcome. There you go. That's my joke for the day. I apologize. The 23rd and the 24th. But there's also an opportunity, even if you've never served any place throughout Bridgewater, if you want to try it for just one day or one service, you can, you can sign up to help with our guest services on one of those services. And we're not even, you know, there's, there's nothing else after that. So it's just one service if you want to try and help out. Um, you're welcome to. You can talk with Tracy or Lisa back in our guest services. Okay. I promise, enough with the commercials, okay? If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 14. By the way, if you don't happen to have a Bible, you can grab one. We have a bunch out there in our foyer. They are free. Take one. If you want to take one and give one to someone, you are welcome to. We want you to have a copy of the Bible for yourselves, okay? We are in the second week of a series called This Is What We Do, and Last week I told you that several times a year we here at Bridgewater do a series that I like to call uh, a, a discipleship series. Now, discipleship really is um, the idea that we will over time take steps to follow Jesus in increasing obedience across every area of our lives. It is a process, okay? But in that process, if you have put your faith in Christ, God wants to, little by little, cause us to grow in obedience in every area. 
of our lives. And so several times a year, we, we talk about what it looks like to grow as a disciple in a particular area of our lives. And last week, we started this series, and we are focusing on the discipleship area of stewardship. Now, if you don't know what a steward is, let me just give you a quick idea. Okay, A steward is someone who manages something that they don't own. Okay? Someone who manages something that doesn't belong to them. And the whole goal is for them to do a good job of managing it so that when they turn it back over to the owner, they actually have a decent return. Okay? Like, for example, you, you, you know, if, you, if your boss is gone and your boss owns the company and you take over in their place, your boss ex- expects to be able to come home or come, come back to the job and the place isn't burnt down. Like, that's a reasonable, you know, uh, expectation, right? You know, he wants you to do a good job. Now, the scripture talks to us uh, about being stewards in several different areas, The Bible actually says that we are stewards of our bodies. Do you know that? Scripture talks about that. It says that our bodies don't belong to us. For for, for a Christian, your your body doesn't belong to you. It's actually the, the, the temple or the residing place of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, we are to honor God with our bodies. That's what Scripture says. Scripture talks about stewardship in the realm of time. Like our time doesn't belong to us. I wish time belonged to me and I wish I could like sometimes rewind it. Anybody wish you had that like, wait, let's do that again, you know? Sometimes I wish I could. I wish I could back it up or I wish I could expand time and have more time. I've had the thought, if I just had more time, I could get more done. Scripture also talks to us about stewardship in the realm of finances. And this is the area that we're focusing in over these three weeks. But I've found a problem in my own life when it comes to stewardship. It goes a little bit like this. Whenever we start talking about stewardship and finances and, and, and trying to be a wise steward, um, I have this thought in my head. It goes like this. If I just had more. Anybody ever had that thought? If I just had a little bit more, then I would, you know, then I could do whatever, you know? That's the thought that tends to show up in our minds. That it's like, man, if I just had a little bit more, then what? Then I would be able to do more. You ever had that thought before? And here's the thing, you're not the only one. You're really not. In fact, recently, um, after some recent current events and news, I started digging into um, the life of someone, and he talks about his own struggle with this. Let Let me just show you if you can pick out who I might be talking about. You ever, any of you know who these people are? I'll be there for you. I won't sing anymore. That's really bad. We'll let Dan do that today, okay? If you were anything like me, I grew up with these guys. And you've probably heard that recently Matthew Perry, who played, thank you, nicely done, who played Chandler Bing, passed away. Matthew wrote a book that's called Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, and he talked 
about his own struggles, his own journey with faith, and then a time that he had a conversation with God. He said in his book something that really grabbed my attention. He said, when I was young, all I wanted was just to have a little bit more. And so he prayed. He had this, he had this like conversation with God, and he said, God, you can do anything you want with my life. You can take me anywhere, do anything you, that you want with my life. Just give, make me rich and famous. You can do anything. Just make me rich and famous. Time went by. This was when, when Matthew Perry was a teenager. And by the time he was 24, he became Chandler Bing on Friends. By the time he was 25, they were on their second season. And on their way to, I think, 10 seasons is what they did. And, and by the second season, every one of these six stars were making a million dollars an episode. He had it all. Probably one of the most famous TV stars at the time. And in his book, he writes this. He said this, look. He said, nobody wanted to be famous more than me. I was convinced that it was the answer. I was 25. It was the second year of Friends and eight months into it. Now, just imagine. What, what do you think he's going to say here? <laughs> you know. Eight months into it, it's, I'm at the pinnacle. Things are great. This is awesome. And he writes this. I realize that the American dream is not making me happy. It's not, fulfilling, not filling the holes in my life. I couldn't get enough attention. Fame does not do what you think it's going to do. It was all a trick. It was a trick. Matthew learned something at 25 that I think is hard for us to learn. We, we tend to think that if I just had more, then I would be better, I would be more, I would be able to do more. We think the answer is having more, but, but I wonder, what if the solution isn't having more, but instead, <laughs> what if instead the solution is using what you have? What if what, what really is going to make a difference is not having more, but just choosing to use what you already have. Now, here's the thing. Jesus' own disciples struggled with this issue just like you and me. The, the people who were closest to him, who spent three years with him day in and day out, they struggled with the very same issue. And in, in a story that's told in three of the four Gospels in the New Testament, Jesus interacts with them about what it would look like to just be faithful. Now, if you're new to the Bible, the, the Bible's kind of divided into two different sections. There's an Old Testament, 39 books or, 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 or accounts in, in there, and then the, the second half is the New Testament and, and 27 books there, and they all combine to tell one consistent theme. But the first four books of the New Testament are what we call Gospels or the good news about Jesus Christ. And in three of the four they tell the same story from different angles. Today I want to show you this story, this one story, three different ways. 
It starts in Matthew 14. This is the first time we see it. In Matthew 14, in verse 13, Matthew records this. As soon as Jesus heard the news, what, what news? Here's a key principle for studying the Bible on your own, okay? A key principle is that you need to kind of take the text and keep it in the context. And so when we see this, we need to back up and see what had just happened. And what had actually just happened is that Jesus had just lost a loved one. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, had just died. He's mourning. He's sad. He's upset. When he heard the news... He left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. Which, by the way, that makes sense, doesn't it? He just wants to be alone. He just wants to mourn and grieve. And then what happens? The text tells us, but the crowds heard where he was headed. I mean, people could see him get in a boat. The Sea of Galilee, it's it's not really all that big, okay? You can kind of see across it in different places. If you ever go there, you can see all the way across. When you get in a boat, they could tell kind of where he was going. So the crowds did what crowds do when there's somebody important. They followed him. They followed him on foot from many towns. Now, a couple of things. First of all, crowd. Is that a lot of people or a small amount of people? In the first service, I said, is that a lot of people or small people? And I was like, no, not small people. Small amount of people, okay? What do you think? Is that a lot of people or not a lot of people? The text says it's a lot of people from many towns. It goes on in verse 14, and and it tells us what, what Jesus saw. Jesus saw the huge crowd. Now it's described not just as a crowd, but as a huge crowd. And as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now here's a guy who who's mourning, and I would just tell you, my first response in a situation like that is probably not going to be compassion. How about you? And yet, that's one of the things that stands out over and over and over about Jesus. And I mention this because I realize that week in and week out, we have people who are, who are, who are new here and, and sometimes new to church. And church can be scary and you wonder, you know, what are people going to think about, about me? Can I just tell you, uh, one, of the, one of the key things about Jesus is that he's filled with compassion. I want you to know that. And that's why we love him here. Okay? Now, Jesus is filled with compassion. He heals their sick. And this apparently goes on for a while. It goes on long enough that his disciples start to get a little bit antsy. Okay? The text tells us in verse 15, it goes on till evening. It says that that evening, the disciples came to him, and they're kind of like, Hey, Jesus, you know, aren't you tired? We're tired. Aren't you hungry? We're hungry. All these people, they're probably really hungry. Why don't we send them away? Because I don't know if you've noticed, there's no Aldi or Aldi's for some of you people, if that's what you say. There's no Weiss. There's no Wegman. There's no Walmart. There's no Domino's. There's no Subway. There's, no, there's none of that. Listen, they don't have a speedy pit here, okay? So what are we going to do? He says, send them away. They say, send them away and let them go buy food for themselves. What's, what's going on here? Well, what's happening is that there were a lot of people. They were a long ways away from any place, and the people were about to get hangry. You ever been hangry? 
Try a Snickers. It'll keep you from being Betty White. No, I'm just kidding. Okay? Here's the thing. The need, what's going on in this situation is this. The need was really great. Because there's a lot of people. Now, if you've, if you've read this story or heard this story before, you know how many people there were, okay? But if, but if you never read it, I'm not going to give it away yet, but, but there were a lot of people there. The need is really, really great. And so often when I'm thinking about stewardship and thinking about giving and managing what God has, has you know, entrusted to me, all I can see is how big the need is. And then I often see something else. What I see is the same thing that the disciples saw. Let me show you. In verse 16, look at what happened. Jesus is orchestrating some incredible things. See, the text tells us that Jesus said to them, Hey, that's not necessary. Don't send them away. Don't send them to to Weiss or Wegmans. Don't send them away. You feed them. What? There's no kitchen. There's, there's no Roma bread. There's no, you, you feed them. Figure it out. Now, before we go on, I want to show you the, another one of the accounts. Okay, that's, math, that's the first part of Matthew's account. Let me show you what John tells us. And again, this is like, it's like watching a car crash. If, if you saw it from this angle and I saw it from this angle, and it, we'd all see slightly different things. Okay, so John accounts some different things for us. Look at what it says in John chapter 6. Jesus saw a huge crowd. We're back at the beginning. He saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him and turning to Philip. Apparently, Jesus has a little side conversation with Philip that Matthew doesn't account. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? Well, I don't know. That's a lot of bread, you know? It's a huge crowd. How are we going to feed them? Philip, where are you going to buy bread? (laughs) The text tells us that Jesus was doing something with Philip. In verse 6, look at what it says. It says, he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip's response is a lot like mine, and frankly, I would guess maybe a lot like yours in a situation like that. Philip says this, he replied, "Uh, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Hey, Jesus, the need is really, really big, and guess what? My pockets are really, really empty. You know what he's saying? The text is telling us that their resources were very small. Their resources were very small. That's that's what's going on. The need was really great, and their resources, what they had, was really really small. So, what do we do? Well, in the text back in Matthew 14, we find out that somebody spoke up. Here's what happened. In Matthew 14 and verse 17, somebody said, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. John tells us the same thing. On chapter 6 and verse 9, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. But what good is that with this huge of a crowd? 
So what's happening is the same thing that tends to happen for us. Their first response is like, this is really, really big, and we can't afford it. We can't do anything about it. In other words, they were asking the very natural question. They were asking a question that I think we all tend to ask. And the natural question is this, what can I afford? They were looking at it and they were going, here's the need, what can I afford? What can, what can I do? And then oftentimes we look at it and we go, I can't afford this. But Jesus took the time to teach them to ask a better question. He took the time to teach them how to look at the situation and not settle for what can I afford. In Mark, third account here, in Mark chapter 6, we see Mark's version of the story. In verse 35, it goes like this. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and they said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. You, you've heard this already, right? Basically, this is where they say, send them away. So verse 36, send the crowds away, that's what he says, Send the crowds away so they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said to them, what does he say? You, you, you know it. You, good, somebody's listening. You feed them, right? Verse 37, you feed them. And they looked at it and they go, we don't have enough money. With what? They asked. We'd have to work for months to earn the money to buy food for all of these people. And here is where Jesus taught them how to ask a better question. Look at what he says to them in verse 38. How much bread do you have? He asked. Go and find out. So they did. What is he telling them to ask? Not, what can I afford? He's telling them to ask a different question, a question that we have to retrain ourselves to, to ask when it comes to stewardship because, because so often all I'm thinking about is, what can I afford? That's it. That's all I'm thinking about. And Jesus is teaching them to ask a different question. The question is, what do I have? What have you entrusted to me, God? What do I have? Not what can I afford, that, that, that's outside of my realm, just simply what do I have? And let me show you what Jesus did when, when they began to ask what do I have. This is where, this is where they come, come back with what they have. In Matthew chapter 14 verse 19, here's what happens. So he told the people to sit down on the grass and Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up towards heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to his disciples who distributed it to the people. What's happening here? The disciples, they took the bread, they took the loaves, they handed it over to Jesus. Jesus took it and he blessed it, he prayed, and then Jesus began to disperse it. Okay? Jesus took this very small meal that was designed for a young boy, and he caused it to multiply. Look, look at what the text tells us, verse 20. 
The text tells us they all, who's the all? Was it a little people or not a little people? <laughs> was it a little amount of people <laughs> or a big amount of people? It was a great crowd from many towns around. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. Now, here's the deal. I mean, I went to school to be, to, I studied, you know, like the Bible. You don't have to know a lot of math to study the Bible. But I don't think that five loaves and two fishes is going to add up to 12 baskets full of leftovers. Much less enough to feed a great amount of people. Now here's where Matthew tells us how many people were there. In verse 21 he says this, About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. How many people exactly? We don't know. 5,000 men. Uh, rough estimates tell us someplace between 10 and 20,000 or 10 and 15,000 uh, people total could have eaten off of those five loaves and two fishes. Is this miraculous? Yeah, it's miraculous. Do I have the ability to do this? No, but God does. God does. So let me, let me just remind you a little bit, of what was actually happening here. Jesus taught them to ask the better question, okay? So he, he teaches them, you know, this is the question to ask. What do I have? And so when they ask that question and they look around, then the disciples give to him what they have. They took the five loaves and the two fishes, okay? Then Jesus does something he blessed it. So God blesses what is given. And then beyond that, God multiplies what is blessed. This is what we talked about last week. This is what we talked about, how we give generously, we sow generously. God multiplies what we give. It's the same principle. And then the entirety of the need is met, even with leftovers. So here's the thing. I tend to look at what can I afford? I tend to think, man, I wish, I wish I had more. But it's not about having more. It's actually about using what you have. It's just about being faithful with what you have. When we talk about stewardship and managing what God has entrusted to us, never once is he going to hold you accountable for something you don't have. Never once is he asking you to do something that you don't even have the ability to do. He is asking you to be faithful, and he's saying, I will multiply what you give. That's the power of it. Now, what, what do we do? Okay, there, There's two steps that I think that we can take to grow in faithfulness when it comes to being stewards financially. Number one is just evaluate what you have. Take a look around. 
Look at what you have. And I, I think this applies to more areas than just money. This applies to, you know, what I, I, I would say, you know, all of our time, all of our talents, all of our treasure. All of it. What do I have? Lord, it's yours. And then second, we offer it to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong, the scripture talks about providing for your family and paying your bills and all of those things. We must do those things. But boy, I find it really easy to quickly have more bills than I really, really need. Right? So the goal is for me to be faithful, to evaluate what I have, and to offer it to Jesus. Now let me leave you with a Simple illustration. I had this card sitting on my desk. I've had it for, uh, for several months. I grew up in Nebraska City, which is the home of the Arbor Day Foundation. And I have been an arborist in other parts of my life. And so I like the Arbor Day Foundation. I made a small donation and they gave me a bunch of trees to plant on our property. And I, apparently they sent me a card too. It has sat on my desk for months, and I never even looked at it. And then this week, I saw it. On this little card has a quote from Ralph Waldo Emerson. Here's the quote. The quote is this. The creation of a thousand forests is in one acorn. See, you know, you can count the number of acorns on an oak tree. Do you know that? It, it might take a while, but you can count the number of acorns on an oak tree, but you cannot count the number of trees in an acorn. You cannot. You can't count how many trees are going to come from that one single acorn. And you know what? It's because that's what God does. When we plant something, oh, it dies, but it comes back, and God multiplies it in incredible, incredible ways. I just wonder, I just wonder, if you and I would release what we have to God, what God might do. But don't forget this. The miracle in the feeding of the 5,000 or 10,000 or 12,000 or 15,000 or how many ever people were there. The miracle didn't start until the food left the disciples' hands. They couldn't hold on to it and God multiply it. They had to let it go. Would you pray with me? God, thank you. Thank you that you multiply and you go way beyond what where we are and what we do. Thank you, God, that you call us to be faithful, not, not for things that we don't have or faithful with things that we haven't been entrusted, but simply to be faithful with what you've entrusted us. God, I pray that even today, for those of us who've put our faith in Christ, that we would choose to be faithful to you. Faithful with our time, faithful with our talents, and faithful with our treasure. Thank you, God, that you always make what we give to you more than enough. We pray in Jesus' name.